This is God's word. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we consider it together this evening. One of the primary responsibilities of the presbytery, as I said, is to oversee uh, really, I would say the two primary responsibilities, there are other things we do, but one is to oversee the work of the churches within her bounds. The other is to oversee the process of the training and ordination of ministers. And so uh, that was the two main things we did. And what was somewhat unique in this last meeting is the way we were able to devote time to overseeing the work of the other congregation. So when we have this annual meeting, uh, each one of the churches brings its minute book, so our official records of all that we've done for the last year, and that's gonna be reviewed by uh, elders from another church. Um, We also have to give a report, a written report that we submit that has a lot of data that the presbytery wants to know about our membership, our attendance, and other things that have gone on in the last year. We have to give them our budget so they can see what our financial situation is. We have to give them a list of our assets so they can assess what our, what our financial strength is. And then the, the final piece is, is a, uh, an oral report from each congregation. So each church in turn, and that's, there's 18 uh, currently in our presbytery, would go forward and, and make a brief presentation and then answer questions. So what was unique this time is that it has been years before we have heard, since we have heard reports on the floor of Presbytery. We've done all that other stuff, we've submitted all the papers, but we have not heard reports because we have had all of our time taken up with controversies of one sort or another. So whatever we were doing and debating and dealing with took all the time So the only time we'd hear a report from a church if it was one of those churches that was in the middle of one of these problems. So this was, in many ways, a return to normal order to hear what's going on in the churches. Now, what happens when you do this is you find things that are kind of surprising. So one of the churches reported, and you know, because there's this oral format, uh, somebody asked them, apparently who had read their minute books and says, is it true? that your elders only met three times last year. So to give you, an, like we met 17 times. I mean, that, that would be more, I mean, meeting once a month plus extra meetings. There was a church where the elders only met three times in the whole year. And so we had a little discussion about, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys probably need to do a little more meeting. But somebody made the comment that, so for these brothers, they're actually spending more time in presbytery and synod meetings than they are in meetings related to the local church. And that is actually an inversion of priorities because the higher courts, the presbytery, the synod, uh, 
they exist to help the local congregation. It's not the other way around. It's not that the congregation exists so we can have a presbytery and a synod. And so those things are only important in that they help the, the ministry, which is actually going on in the local congregation. So children, I don't know if you've heard uh, the, the phrase, uh, the, the tail wagging the dog, okay? So you can see, if you think about that, you can think why that wouldn't make too much sense. If you have a tail standing there and then the whole dog's wagging, you understand that's backwards of what should be happening. And, uh, and so this was an example maybe of slightly backwards thinking. But the point is really it's easy when you're wrapped up in these kinds of things at the higher courts to lose sight of what's really important. And I love this little passage that we read because it really helps us, Jesus helps us focus on what's really important. And so the main point as we look at this just briefly is Jesus is doing a great work. And he says there is a great harvest out there. And so you and I need to pray that the Lord would give us eyes to see it and a heart to pursue it. And so children, you might uh, even could draw two pictures. There's two images Jesus uses here. One is sheep that are lost and without a shepherd. The other is grain in a field and no one to harvest it. And uh, listen to what Jesus is trying to teach us through that. Well, the first thing I want you to see, there's an outline that you could follow along. It's in the back there. You need Jesus' ministry of restoration. Verse 35 is a fantastic summary of the whole earthly ministry of Jesus, but particularly the, the early part of his ministry. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So, so far in the book of Matthew, the first four chapters are kind of Jesus' preparation for ministry, his birth, his baptism, his uh, going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then verses 5 to 7, well, we know what's in there, right? What's in verses, or chapters, sorry, chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew? Anyone, any, any kids want to help us out? What's in, what's in those chapters? Yes. Sermon on the, that's excellent. Yes, that would be very sad if uh, we didn't remember that. That's what uh, Pastor Philip is preaching on. Good. So that's teaching, right? There's a lot of teaching in chapters 5 to 7. But then if you look at like chapters 8 and 9, what's coming next is it's a whole series of healings and miracles where Jesus is showing his power and he is healing people. And what does this text tell us? The message, it summarizes all his preaching, uh, all that Philip's teaching us about this way. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, which had, has come in a new way through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And one thing we need to remind ourselves is that that kingdom did not come to live peaceably with the earthly kingdom. Uh, these things are, are both side by side inhabiting the same world, uh, but they are not at peace with, with one another. In fact, there's a wonderful vision in the book of Daniel when the king Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he dreams about this massive statue with gold and silver and bronze and iron. And then this, this rock that comes out of nowhere uh, and, and comes and crushes the statue and grows into a huge mountain. And that's the imagery uh, that the Lord gave to Daniel to picture Jesus' kingdom. I put the interpretation in your outline there on the back, Daniel 2, 44 and 45. 
And there, this is the explanation of the dream. In the the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And that is a picture of Jesus' kingdom coming into the world to overthrow all the kingdoms of the world and to become the permanent kingdom that is like a mountain uh, filling everything. Jesus admitted that he had a kingdom that was otherworldly when he was questioned by Pilate. In John 8, uh, 18, verse 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So he had this plan to bring his kingdom, but his kingdom is coming uh, from heaven, and it's coming in such a way that it's going to completely renovate and restore the earth as it is. I also put in your outline Romans 8, verses 20 and 21. And there we're told that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So Jesus is doing a great work. And he's actually, in bringing his kingdom into the world, renovating the entire universe. Uh, Up at the meetings, uh, I ran into Adam Neese, a former pastor here, and it was good to catch up with Adam. He was staying with his brother and sister-in-law, the Eddies, in Indianapolis while he was there for the meeting. And he was telling me a little bit about their house. Their house is on the near, uh, just the north side of the downtown area of Indianapolis. This is a house built in the 1890s uh, that at one point been in complete disrepair uh, when, uh, when those neighborhoods were abandoned in like the 50s and the 60s. But now as that area has gone through a, a sort of a resurgence and a renewal, um, it's been restored to uh, its, its former glory and probably a lot beyond it because it's been modernized. But he said what's interesting is they have the pictures of the whole history of the house so you can see what it looked like in its former days what it looked like at its low point, and then, of course, what it looks like now. And you realize um, it's, it's an amazing work of renovation and restoration, but it's still the same house. It's, it's the same house, uh, but it's just been completely renovated and restored and made as it was supposed to be. And this is what Jesus' a massive project in this world is about He is coming to a fallen and a cursed creation, and he is renovating it. He's renovating the entire cosmos to make them glorious and to make them perfect for all eternity. Uh, This was actually referenced in the concert last night in one of the pieces uh, from Isaiah. And this is not in your outline, but the words from Isaiah 11, and, and we heard these sung. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, 
Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a wonderful promise. That's the work of renewal. It's the same cosmos, but it's going to be completely redone. And every vestige of evil is going to be removed. And there'll be nothing to fear or nothing to cause anxiety or sorrow or grief. And this is what Jesus is doing. And so, yes, sometimes sitting in a presbytery meeting and it seems like we're dealing with rather mundane things, it's helpful to remind ourselves that we're just a little piece of this wonderful work that the Lord Jesus is doing. This is not just a work he's doing, though, as he renovates the world. He does this kind of work in the lives of his people, changing his people slowly but surely into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you need the ministry of restoration that Jesus has. Secondly, Jesus' ministry of restoration happens through the reclamation of lost sheep. So in verse 36, Jesus says, it says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. It is very interesting. Why was Jesus doing this teaching and this healing? What was motivating him? Well, it wasn't a desire for fame or popularity or acclaim or uh, to get a big following. It was compassion and The word in the original language is a very expressive word. It it has to do with with the guts or the uh, the insides. Like his his heart, his inner being was moved and went out to these masses of oppressed people because these people had tremendous needs and most of all their needs were spiritual and their leaders were not doing anything to help them. Uh, Jesus criticized the Pharisees and I put this reference in your outline in Matthew 23 verse 4 he says they are for they blind they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers Uh, rather than offering people comfort and hope and the good news of the gospel they were giving people rules to follow and just weighing them down with man-made rules that made religious observance a brutal task and uh, absolutely snuffed the joy out of it and did nothing to help the people relieve those burdens by pointing them to the sufficiency of God's grace. And so Jesus sees them, as it says, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, my translation said weary and scattered. Um, the, The ESV translates it harassed and helpless, and the New American Standard distressed and downcast. Um, so there's a, the, the idea, I think, is, is really getting at there's, there's external harassment, worrying, and then there's this internal uh, depression and hopelessness. Both of these, uh, both of these are, are occurring. And of course, we know that, that sheep are not particularly good at fending for themselves out in the wild. In addition to being susceptible to predators and disease, and parasites and getting lost. Uh, We were talking the other day about the fact that 
their wool grows to a point where if they're not shorn every year, they can get to the point where they can hardly move uh, on their own. So they're not really equipped to survive. They need someone who can lead them, someone who can guide them, who can feed them, who can protect them. And of course, Jesus is coming saying that these people need uh, a shepherd to do these things for them. I always found it interesting. One of my seminary professors talked about uh, moving into a new area and doing a lot of knocking on doors. And he said he would just knock on the door and introduce himself as the pastor, you know, the new pastor in your neighborhood and hand out a card. And he said really what he was trying to do was look for people who appeared to be sheep without a shepherd. And he said, you know, someone would just seem like they just wanted to talk. And uh, so that he might stay a little longer or a person would have a question or there'd just be something in the way that the person interacted that would make him note there's something this person is looking for. And he would make a note of that. And those were the houses that he would go back to. And I thought that was an interesting strategy because so often um, this kind of uh, evangelism is seen as an opportunity to argue with people and win fights and stuff like that. When the people fighting with you most often have no interest in actually listening to what you're saying, whereas he's actually looking for people in whom the spirit is at work, recognizing that that's not everybody, but Lord, help me to find those sheep who look harried and harassed and wearied and are needing a shepherd and send me to those people. Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We do this understanding that only by the Spirit of God can someone come to know the Lord. But what a promise that Jesus says, those who are my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. And that's a, a tremendous encouragement. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He says that he's the one who's willing to leave the 99 and go find the one lost sheep. What, a, what an amazing thing that this project of restoring the cosmos is one that he is doing by reclaiming one lost sheep at a time. And we might say, well, that is not a prescription for success. You cannot make that work. And yet from a handful of believers 2,000 years ago, how many worshipers of Christ have been born and saved in this world? It's, it's billions, probably. Hundreds of millions. So it is working. And the Lord is building his kingdom by reclaiming say, uh, lost people, one sheep at a time. So then thirdly, Jesus comes to his sheep through laborers. So pray and seek to be a laborer. This is really interesting how the imagery changes. We're talking about sheep in verse 36, but then in verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So now he switches to grain growing in a field. It's not livestock. It's, it's, a, it's a crop. And he's saying, look around you, and you see there's this massive crop. It's ripe it's ready to be harvested, and there aren't enough people to harvest. And that's a huge problem, because uh, in the ancient world, 
you would have a, a, a window where you had to do your harvesting. And if you left the, the grain, the birds are going to come in. Other people will try to steal it. The weather may uh, ruin it for you. It may get moldy. There's a lot of things that can happen. And so when it was time to harvest, this was the whole village uh, in an undertaking to do the harvesting. Uh, we're in a, in a day at an age now. I read where one farmer can feed like 150 to 200 people because of the, uh, the technology that we have available. But that certainly wouldn't have been the case in the ancient world where you would need many farmers to feed uh, just a family. And so uh, this is a problem. This, th not having enough workers, is that is the main resource needed to bring in the crop. So that's the problem. Children, they have this crop that's ready to be harvested, and they don't have enough workers to go get it. So what does Jesus tell them to do? What's that? Pray. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's, it's, it's not what we would expect, I think. It's like, uh, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for the harvest. That that is incumbent upon us to learn to see what's going on, to see the potential, and then to ask God to help provide the man, woman, and child power needed to bring in the harvest. Um, it, it is a, a good reminder that the way God does his work is through human instruments. So often the case. He doesn't need to, but he, he works through human instruments. How is it that he saves the lost? Look at what Romans 10, verses 13 and 15 tell us. And you've got to realize Romans 10 comes right after Romans 9. Romans 9 is all about election. Uh, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. Right? So, okay, so it's all God doing it. Yeah, it's all God doing it. And then what do we have in Romans 10? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call out to God in faith, you will be saved. And then Paul goes on, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, yeah, it's, it is all God. And yet, this is how God works. He, he People have to hear the message, and to hear the message, they have to have someone come bring it to them. And to have someone come bring it to them, we have to send the person out and take it to the people who need to hear it. So this is the great need that we have. The church needs faithful laborers. And to get faithful laborers, we need faithful elders, we need faithful preachers. That is the pressing need of our denomination and uh, we may want to argue about this and that um, piece of theology. And at the Synod, there, we're going to be arguing about uh, particular things in our Constitution that some people want to change. And I'm not saying those things are not important at all. But relatively speaking, they're not very important. And what's important is for us to learn to see the way the Lord sees, which is that there is a great harvest and the one thing lacking are laborers for the harvest. 
And so we need to ask God to make us willing to be laborers, but also that God would raise up laborers. Uh, some of you have been around in our congregation for a while would, would remember we have invested a lot over the last several years in having interns uh, come in and be with us. We didn't do it last year, but three years previous to that and maybe a year before that, uh, and John did one not during the summer, but during the fall. But this investing in the Lord raising up laborers who can work in the ministry, uh, there's nothing more important that the church can do than invest in people who can go and help in the ministry. And so it's, it, we need to pray and we need to support that work and we also need to ask the Lord to help us see the harvest that's right around us. Who are the lost sheep in your life who look like they need a shepherd? Now, in the last time the youth group met, we were playing a little game uh, where we had, um, uh, we had the kids, you know, going in a circle uh, with their head uh, down, so to kind of make them dizzy, and then they were going to walk on a board. And so uh, this kid, uh, one of the kids got pretty dizzy, and so uh, he just keeled over. And uh, I grabbed him and held on to him, and I was like, this kid's a good athlete. Why is he falling over like this? And then I got him upright, and we're like, okay, you got to find the board, you know? And, and he's, he's, he's continuing to fall over, and I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? And then I hear the other kids yelling, open your eyes, open your eyes. Okay, I, he had his eyes closed. I don't know why he thought he should have his eyes closed, I'm like, okay, I forgot, I guess I forgot to mention that. You can keep your eyes open when you walk. Uh, so that changed everything. Uh, he's like straight up, straight up and down and walked right down the board, like no problem. And uh, this is what Jesus is telling us here. Like, go ahead and open up your eyes. Uh, yeah, you're, you're spinning around uh, in, in your life, running from this thing, running to that thing, and you're almost like you got your eyes closed. And it's pretty hard to stay upright and to stay focused on what is really important if we don't open our eyes and ask the Lord to help us see what's around us. People who are distressed and weary, like sheep without a shepherd. Those people are everywhere. And that's what God says He's in the business of reclaiming sheep like that. And this is how he is in the process of building his kingdom and renovating our world. And our hope in this is that our Lord Jesus, who was a perfect servant in our place, a perfect and compassionate laborer, will make us faithful laborers by his grace. So Jesus is doing a great work. He says there's a great harvest. Pray for eyes to see it and a heart to pursue it. Now let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness to us. This little passage that sort of summarizes all that Jesus was doing and a reminder that in him, in him coming and teaching the truth and healing all of these diseases, he was very consciously undoing the curse and showing that the power to undo the curse had come into the world and that he was starting that great work and how thankful we are that we can be a part of that work. And we thank you that that work goes forward just one person at a time as we come into his kingdom. Thank you for bringing us 
And Lord, help us to be those who see those opportunities around us. And would you be pleased to use us and use our little denomination, use our congregation, use us as individuals and families in the work that you're doing uh, to renovate and renew this whole world. We pray these things with gratitude through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's sing in response to God's word from Psalm 72c. And I chose this because this uh, speaks of the kingdom like um, a field uh, growing with, the, with the, the grain waving. May the waving grain on the hilltops thrive like Lebanon its harvest yield. May people flourish, towns revive like grasses growing in the field. It's a picture of the kingdom of God growing like the field, the great harvest field. Let's stand and let's sing to our Lord. 